Hey, hey, welcome to the Wildscast. Uh, this is our third session on the issue of anti-Semitism coming from the left. First, we had Dumisani, and then I interviewed David Bernstein. I very much encourage you to listen to those two conversations. Today, I had the honor of discussing anti-Semitism from the left with someone who's really in the left, and that is Yuval David. Yuval is an Emmy-winning actor, host, director, and filmmaker. He's won over 100 International Film Festival awards, and he's been on NBC, ABC, CBS, Comedy Central, and he is someone that's really comfortable in the mainstream, and I would really call it more the mainstream left of center world, and at the same time, a very passionate advocate an activist with his focus on Jewish LGBTQ issues, but he's a very proud Jew and Zionist at the same time. And in a sense, he has credibility in the world, in the more, I guess, hard left world. And we got into a lot of important conversations and I asked him how he speaks to his colleagues, to his friends in the acting world. How does he communicate with them about uh, individuals that keep calling Israel a Nazi state or demonize it as an apartheid state. How does he deal with that on, on a personal level? And given the whole oppressor, oppressed paradigm that we talked about in the last two sessions, which unfortunately the far left identity politics is predicated on, what suggestions does he have in reframing the way think of, people think about Israel? right? Israel, thankfully, is strong. Jewish people in America are successful. We're no longer seen as downtrodden, and somehow it's being used against us. Like, what's the deal with that? Why can't people see the resilience and respect that? Because we're no longer oppressed. We no longer can defend ourselves against anti-Semitism. We're not a, you know, we're not a sort of a protected species anymore, if you will. So we got into that conversation. We also, I asked them also about, he goes to a lot of rallies that are I would say, are organized by the left. And he has stood next to people holding signs that say gays for Palestine, queers for Palestine. And I asked him, how does he deal with people conflating the issues of Israel with other issues that are important uh, on the left or in general in our society? But what is really great about the conversation is how we talked about Achtus and unity within the Jewish community. Because the way we look at ourselves, the way we view ourselves is ultimately the way we're going to present ourselves to the rest of the world. And the way we're going to respond to anti-Semitism is largely going to be born out of our sense of pride, education, inspiration that we personally have for being Jews ourselves. Because we're just going to remain on the sidelines and just allow people to say whatever they want about us if we're not sufficiently proud of who we are or connected enough with our fellow Jews, because let's face it, we've splintered off. So I asked him about that. Really much encourage you to listen into this very important conversation for the, our third and last entry into anti-Semitism from the left. Yuval, uh, Yuval David, welcome. It is really an honor and a pleasure have you here. I've been listening to a lot of your social media, been um, following you, and uh, I'm a big fan of a lot of the things that you're doing. It's good to be followed, and it's good to have fans. <laughs> yeah, as long as it's not a creepy follow. 
but I you get, are I get all of those. I get you that get too. that too. You get at that least, too. Okay. At least not from you. So I appreciate <laughs> that I don't get that from you. Um, so you're the third guest that we have on the Wildscast that I've brought on to discuss anti-Semitism specifically from the left. The reason I'm focused on that is because I, I, I feel that the anti-Semitism that comes from the Kanye Wests of the world get responded to properly, justifiably. There's pushback, there's protest, as there should be. But I feel some of the anti-Semitism, what I perceive as to be anti-Semitism coming from different parts of our cultural world is going unchecked. So our second guest, we had Dusami Washington first, who's a great black leader. And our second guest, David Bernstein, who's the founder for the, of the Jewish Institute for Liberal Values. So mm. he argued, and I want to hear what your take on this is, because I think you have a unique position to, to speak to this issue. All right. He argued that anti-Semitism from the left stems from the idea that since Jews in the diaspora are a successful minority, and since the state of Israel is thankfully strong and influential, we, i.e. we Jews, fall into the oppressor side of the oppressor-oppressed paradigm, which the far-left identity politics is predicated upon. So I, I wanted to ask you, you know, and that it like, and they we're like almost in this impossible position where, you know, since the world has kind of been, you know, split up into these two binary of people who are strong, influential, i.e. oppressors, and people who are being oppressed since the Jews are today, maybe it was different in the times of the Holocaust, but since the Jews today are successful, successful minority in the West and a strong presence in the Middle East, that that um, we, we are now viewed as the oppressed. And you so mean, my question is- We are now you, viewed as the oppressors. The oppressor, thank you, thank right. you. So do you feel this diagnosis rings true? And if it is true in your mind, how do you communicate? Because I know you do. Um, how do you communicate with your friends and colleagues on the left? That Israel, while not perfect, is not this, you know, demon Nazi apartheid state that unfortunately many on the far left are calling it. Hmm. Uh, how do I communicate is a very big question. Uh, sometimes I lean into the microphone like I'm doing now. I lean into the challenging conversations and I will address the conversation for exactly what it is. This is who I am. This is how I am, and this is how I feel within this conversation. This is how you're making me feel. So I am within the left. I am on the left. Uh, whether I drift from, from the, the, the spectrum of how left I am and how close to center I am, you know, that changes. I am a human being in transition. Right. And I use the language of the left leaning social justice and civil rights movements to really discuss the conversations that we need to have, to use the language that is utilized by the LGBTQ movement, by the women's rights movement, by the Black Lives Matter and the Black rights movements, by the indigenous peoples movements, by all of these conversations to make sure that I, as a Jewish Zionist person, can use the same language. And when people are troubled by my use of that language, I lean in once again and I say, why are you troubled by my using this language about me when it's okay to use the language about all these other people? And wow. that mm -hmm. is what calls out the anti-Semitism or the Jew hatred, which I like to 
utilize that term instead of anti-Semitism, mm -hmm. because I think mm -hmm. anti-Semitism doesn't hold as much meaning anymore. It's not vernacular. It's been used and thrown around so much, and people are using the, uh, the power of the narrative to change our narrative by saying, oh, the Jewish narrative is in your perspective, but I have a different perspective on the Jewish narrative. And I respond by saying, who are you to change my narrative if you are not me? Right? It's just mm -hmm. like a comic mm -hmm. who is mm -hmm. of that community can make jokes about the community in a very different way than a comic who's not of the community to make right. jokes about that other community. So I say, don't other me. Don't tell me who I am. These are my pronouns. My pronouns are Jew and Zionist. That's what it means to me. Please use my pronouns. This is who I am. So it's a lot of uh, verbal and semantic spinning and manipulation to get people to really listen to who I am and respect me as a human being. And again, if they cannot do that, that is what shows that they are Jew haters, that they have an issue with Jewish people, that they hold us to a different set of standards mm -hmm. or that there's a, a double standard when it comes to us. And I call it out. And yeah, I call it out on the left because I've been kicked out of pride marches because I had a Magen David on my pride flag. I've spoken at the Creating Change conference uh, where there were people who tried to silence me. I've been at these spaces where BDS and, uh, and, and J Street and JVP and Queers for Palestine and all of these different organizations are coming for me and trying to silence me or cancel me. And I say, well, why are you canceling me? And I encounter their opinions about me and my identity. So I respond by saying, this is my identity. This is who I am. You do not have the right to change my narrative because I respect you and your narrative. You must respect me and mine. Wow. Wow. That's a long answer. I don't know if you well, expected I, I, such a long answer. Um, it was a great answer. and It's a complicated answer. It's, it's not it's an complicated, easy one. It's complicated, but I think you have a lot of credibility in that world. I um, do. It's been You have a lot decades. of credibility in that world, and I... And I um, you know, I, I guess on behalf of the, the, the rest of the Jewish people, I appreciate you using your, your platform and the credibility that you have to defend the Jewish people against, um, you know, unfounded attacks, whether verbal or, or otherwise. But so you do agree, just to clarify, you agree that we have this kind of oppressed oppressor paradigm. It does exist in the world. Is, 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 is that a perceived idea from the right? Or is that in your mind a reality that people defending Israel have to have to take note of and have to deal with? Yeah, there absolutely is. Because when somebody is perceived as a successful person or a successful people or a successful community, it is hard to still see them as oppressed because success right. is seen as winning. And you know what? We have won. We look at look at the awards given to our people from the Nobel Peace Prize to, you know, my awards right here the, that I have achieved to the people who have achieved high level of status within corporations and organizations and within the religious space and within mm -hmm. the educational space and within the political space. 
Those are amazing achievements that we as Jewish people must be proud of. And people see that and they say, well, okay, so if Jews really are, what is it, 0.02% of yeah, people nothing. on this planet, why are you people succeeding so much? If you're such a minority, why are you holding all these positions of power? It must be some Jewish Zionist cabal. There's no reason why you people, you Jews, should have this success, should right. hold these positions of power in entertainment, in politics, in education, in every sector. So what's the answer? Look at Judaism. Look at what Judaism is about. Look at what Zionism is about. I was part of a panel discussion, and it included all of these different uh, activists and advocates and their perspectives on how their religion affected them. And I loved that I was the last person speaking on this panel because it's a great way to listen to what everybody says and then have the ability to respond. And all of these people of different faiths were talking about love, how their religion is about love. It's about love. And they kept talking about loving people and love, 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 love. And I, when it came to me, I took a very pregnant pause. And this is in front of a crowd of, I think there were maybe 400 something people there. And where I was said, this? I'm curious. Where was just to give a little context? Uh, this was in uh, in Los Angeles at mm -hmm. uh, a big conference center mm -hmm. that gathered activists together. And uh, I said, Judaism isn't about love. And there was this big gasp, like there was an audible gasp, which I loved. <laughs> and I said, yeah, Judaism isn't about love. Judaism is about justice. Tzedek, tzedek, tirdof how to be a mensch, how to do things for your neighbors. Yes, we will say, love thy neighbor as thyself. But the concept underneath loving your neighbor as thyself is not about love. It's about justice. Do things well. Do things correctly for other people. If you are working for yourself, for your people, for your family, for your community, you also must do the same for your neighbor. And because of this Jewish thought and Jewish education and Jewish spirituality, how much we are really a humanist religion and a humanist culture and a humanist ethnicity, that is why we focus on tikkun olam, but not just tikkun olam, tikkun nefesh and tikkun haguf. What is tikkun olam? Repairing of the world. We hear that said all the time. Every, every bar and bat and bnei mitzvah person says tikkun olam, tikkun olam, tikkun olam. We get it, right? It's so important. But what is olam? What is repairing of the world? Whose world? Which world? How do we define it? Three Jews, five opinions. All of a sudden, people will start to define what is olam? What does it mean? Then we say tikkun aguf, repairing of the body. Is that my body? Is it my physical being? Or is it the body politic? Is it the body of our people? Is the body our Beit Knesset, the synagogue? Is the body, you know, the great temple that stood in Jerusalem? What is the body? And then tikkuna nefesh, what is the nefesh, repairing of the soul? What is, what is the soul? Is it my specific soul as an individual? Is it the soul of our people? Is it ruach hachaim, which is a name for Elohim, which is a name for God? What is the soul? What is the spirit? Is it spirituality? So we're able to understand things in so many different ways. And when our great rabbis argued about what things meant, which one is right? Who's right? Who's wrong? Let's break up in chivuta and, uh, and, and talk in small groups, in big groups. 
You know what we did? We still wrote down the opinions of the rabbis that did not win the argument. Sure. What an amazing thought to say, well, if this is your opinion, well, you need to also look at these other opinions. We answer questions with questions. We, we embrace challenge with knowing that nothing is always completely right. We have to keep working at it. Well, so I appreciate I, I, that's my all, perspective. I, I, well, first of all, thank you for sharing that. It was very eloquent. And I will share also. And again, I, long. I talk a lot. I'm sorry. You have to. It's amazing <laughs> no, no. to talk a lot on, on a podcast. Well, I'm, with listen, they hear me. My students and listeners hear me all the time. I bring on guests so they can hear them. But I do appreciate that you didn't truncate the Taken Olam from the Machut Shakai, because mm. unfortunately, a large part of the Jewish world does that. Machut Shakai, for those listening, means in the kingdom of God. Uh, the, the concept of Tikkun Olam, which is fixing the world was never supposed to be a standalone idea. So I appreciate you talking about the nefesh and the soul and tikkun ha-nefesh because ultimately, you know, you said to this group that Judaism is more about justice than it is love. Love comes within the context of justice. I, mm. I would share, I would say All right. that uh, Judaism is about being holy and we want to try to make a holy world and we want to make ourselves into holy people. And part of that, of course, is love. Part of that, I think, of course, is justice. But at the end of the day, we were entrusted to share this body of knowledge called the Torah. This is my perspective anyway, with the rest of humanity in order to share a certain light and wisdom of God uh, uh, through the Torah so that the whole world can somehow be elevated and fixed, if you will, you know, tikkun olam. So I, I, I really appreciate that. Um, and, and I think that is, I, I think you really... To, you know, do justice to to um, what we're about. You know, what is our purpose and what is our mission? And uh, just getting back to the anti-Semitism, um, you mentioned something earlier about giving your own perspective. Okay, mm. David Bernstein, who I mentioned before, who was our second guest on this little mini series, um, he mentioned this idea, which is called standpoint epistemology. I don't know if you've ever heard. Uh, that expression standpoint epistemology basically is the idea that you only have legitimacy to comment on other people's oppression. This is the way it's being used today that you can only really be taken seriously when you make comments about other people's oppression. If you yourself have your own lived experience with oppression and getting back to the same ideas again, said since Jews and Israel are perceived as successful and strong, i.e. no longer oppressed, our ability to be taken seriously when we comment on other people's issues. Uh, you talked about, you know, only a comedian can make jokes about their own people, right? Can we, are we allowed to weigh in anymore on, I don't know, issues affecting yes, our- Yes, yes, we right? are allowed to. Right, so how do you break through this idea that your current, our current identity we've established already as an oppressed- <laughs> people, excuse me, as an oppressor, because we're strong, we're confident, we're doing well, right? That that's the only thing that matters when having these conversations. And therefore, I'm sorry, Rabbi, or I'm sorry, Yuval, with your mug and David hanging from your neck, because you're affiliated with a strong state, because your people are wealthy in the United States and other Western countries, I'm sorry, I'm not really going to pay attention to what you have to say about other people or even about attacks on your own people. Right. Because you're not really being attacked. Right. You know? So it's, it's, it's the question of, once again, the narrative. 
So when somebody says all of those things that you said, oh, uh, Yuval, you're succeeding in entertainment and media. You have a Magin David around your neck. Rabbi, you're a rabbi of a congregation. You have a podcast. You have all these people know you around the world. You're succeeding. Your people are succeeding. You are not a victim anymore. So we're in a time of, of victimhood competitions. And that's not right. right. It's, my victimhood is different than yours. And the victimhood of the Jewish people is different than the victimhood of African Americans and Caribbean Americans. Uh, and, and I'm sorry, uh, Afro-Caribbeans and of Asian Americans and of all of these different people, the LGBTQ movement, uh, women, uh, people who've been raped and, and survived sex abuse. It's not about competing with who is the greater victim. It's understanding that people have their own victim narrative. But what is seen as different within the victimhood narrative of the Jewish people is that we are a resilient people. We are a determined people. We need to live. Look at what happened after the Holocaust, which you see especially in the Orthodox uh, Jewish communities, and even in the conservative Jewish communities, and especially in the ultra-ultra-Orthodox and the Haredim and all of the other uh, denominations of Judaism on those levels, so many of their people of those denominations were killed off because the Nazis saw them as weak. They're like, oh, this right. Jew with Shtremalach in a hat, yeah. he's not going to be able to work. Or she uh, wears a shaitel and has given birth to X amount of children. They're weak Jews. We don't need them. We're not going to be able to use them gas chambers. So what did the survivors do? They said, we need to, to have more children. We need to plentify our people again. And there are all of these rabbis who were saying, and focusing on the 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 mitzvah and and the right. joy of having right, to have, children to have to pot, to repopulate and to rebuild those those Hasidic dynasties that were so decimated. they were resilient. Yeah. Those Hasidic yeah. dynasties were resilient. Now, look at the the history and the narrative of Israel. Israel is constantly under attack, and Israel was under attack in significant ways in its first many decades of its existence. But then Israel started winning. Israel started fighting back. And, and well, Israel always was fighting yeah, back. Yeah. But Israel was winning in its fighting back. And then the culture of Israel, because of who we are as a Jewish people, and because it is the Jewish state, and education is what it is, and all of these high-tech companies started coming in, and the country started to build and flourish and skyscrapers and, and every uh, company, every high-tech company has a, a base there and offices there. And people started looking at this narrative of the Jewish victims. And they said, oh, they're not these nebbishy people who are weak and don't play sports and are not sexy and are not whatever these narratives are. They started saying, wait a second, these people are succeeding. That's not fair. That's yeah. not fair. They are, they are no longer able to be victims. And I think so that's how a we, problem. So, how so, do we right, respond to that? Is say, yeah. why is there a competition amongst victims? Yeah. Why, yeah. why can well, a, why isn't a victim not seen, succeed? Right. Why isn't resilience seen as a value anymore? And why I think it, that's something we have to focus on in our culture, Mark. I mean, we, mm -hmm. resilience the, needs to by, be applied. By, by, the, by the way, I got to share this, Yuval. It's just like, I, as you were speaking about like the, sort of the ultra-Orthodox communities replenishing themselves, focusing on 
I think you were about to say pru or vu. I was. Multiply. So I, I'll never forget this document, this documentary I saw years ago. Um, Yeah. This documentary, this woman, not a Jewish woman. She was um, doing a story on the Hasidic community in Williamsburg Mm. at least 20 years ago. So she walks into some random like kosher butcher house. And she sees some chassid that's got like a apron with like, you know, I don't know, blood stains on it. And, you know, the guy's doing his work, he's chopping meat. And she sticks a microphone in his face and says, sir, how many children do you have? And he looks right back at her and he says, 12. And she says, what? You have 12 children? And he says, yeah, I have 12 children. She says, well, do you and your wife, I mean, you're a fairly young person. Do you, do you intend to have more? And he said, absolutely. And she said, how many? And he looks right back at her and he said, six million. Mm. And I never, I, I'll never forget that because what he was trying to, what he was trying to listen, it's a value to have children in general, uh, as far as Judah is concerned, you, you and I both know that. But, but what he was trying to show was that they were trying to rebuild and, and Israel did the same thing. You know, I, I, I grew up in the Orthodox community and there was a little of this perception of being religious and being a little like nebbish. And a little, like you used the word, I think that was your term, I did. a little nebbish, a little like, you know, not so strong. I, and, you know, we'd get picked on. I, I grew up wearing a kippah and we didn't really, there's always like one, I had one friend who would like run after people who yelled kike. I just kept walking, you know, and, and, um, but when I studied in Israel for a year, when I, my gap year, when I was 18, I studied in a wonderful yeshiva. I'm sure you've heard of it. Yeshiva HaKotel. I have. Um, and it was the first time I met religious Jews that were also fighting in the army. Mm-hmm. I'd never met such a Jew. And I remember it was, I was only there for a couple of weeks. You know, I drew, grew up going to the Jewish day school, modern Orthodox, you know, day school movement. And this guy's gun, his M16, kept pushing into my side on Yom Kippur because he was fully dressed. And I saw him davening with such kavana. The guy was like so focused spiritually. And there he was in his fatigues and his M16. And I was like, whoa, I just never saw that before. And that is the new reality today. Now, we're not a warmongering type of people. We don't glorify violence or war, God forbid. But at the same time, we have to figure out a way, and I don't know if we've done this yet, of demonstrating pride hmm. in that resilience, like you said, but that's, I mean, I don't know where I come from. That's like something you get sort of patted on the back for and not looked down on because you're, you're successful now, you know? And um, so I, I appreciate what you're saying. I just, I, so it's I about know. doing, I mean, even in, in the way that I hear you talk about this rabbi, I, I hear the challenge of your thought process in your in in your intonation we need to do what the black is beautiful movement did mm-hmm. jewish mm-hmm. is beautiful you know black is beautiful came around when when black people were being segregated we're not allowed to move into neighborhoods we're not allowed to have uh, jobs in specific places we're not allowed to join the country clubs we're not allowed to all of these things in in the horrors of how black people were treated in the yeah. United States. They said, you know what? Black is beautiful. And they're right. Black is beautiful. We need to take uh, pages from their 
movement history books and say, Jew is beautiful. Jewish is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And that's what the Israelis very much did. They said, we're going to be the, 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 the sabres, right? Prickly on the outside and deliciously sweet on the inside. For those <laughs> listeners who don't know, a sabra is a nickname for Israelis, and it's the name of uh, cactus fruit, which is very, very prickly, but it's also delicious. And if you've ever tried to Pick one off of a cactus. Good luck, yeah, you'll, and you'll good luck to your hand. Spend the rest of your time oh, pulling. You've this you've obviously of... done it. Yeah, I've yeah, done it yeah. as well. So, the Israeli narrative really started to change the narrative of the Jewish people, because about half of the Jewish people, or 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 just less than half of the Jewish people, live in Israel. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's half today. Um, but I so, think, but, so they're but, changing Yuval, the narrative, I, I, but we need to applaud it. We, yes, right. Jews are beautiful. Jews are strong. We're not all nebishy. And the videos, Rabbi, of Orthodox people doing breakdancing in the streets and right. going to the gym. I mean, right. I work out right. at a gym and there's a guy with Stremalach who's a massive weightlifter. Right. And you know what? It's I'm going to use, I wanted to use the F word. You know what? It's, <laughs> it's, 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 it's effing, it's effing sexy. It's effing right. beautiful. And I, right. Like I haven't actually walked up to him and said, you know, well, you know what? But hey, you know Yid, what? You know what? I love you. You're amazing. Take photos well, and put should, it all over you social should, media. You, you know what? You should you should tell him that first of all. But you, Yuval, I, I think this is coming out of a certain insecurity. I'm going to call it, and uh, I'm nothing against Woody Allen. I think he's brilliant, uh, but it's a little of a Woody Allenish kind of attitude mm-hmm. that Jews in America have had towards Judaism because we're not terribly knowledgeable. As a people, we're incredibly well-educated. We're probably the highest well-educated minority ethnicity in the United States. Mm-hmm. But Jewishly, and Rabbi Sachs of blessed memory, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs used to teach us, like, you're not going to be proud of your Judaism if you're not knowledgeable, if you're not aware of the accomplishments of the Jewish people. You're going to be, like, making fun of yourself, a little self – the self-deprecating Woody Allen kind of Jew has created that kind of self-perception of ourselves. Right. And it's very different. Like, I think you just articulated that very different than the way Israelis look at themselves. Right. Like know? Israelis can laugh at their Jewishness or their even identity. They don't have to focus solely right. on their Jewishness right. because they're, they're a majority in, in the land. Right. Uh, here as a minority, the self-deprecating humor is part of our Jewish humor. It's part of our epigenetics. It was a survival mechanism that people used when, oh, they're making fun of us. Oh, yeah, it's funny too. Yeah, Yeah, I know we're all like this, but you know, I'm still going to try to succeed, right? It was a survival (laughs) mechanism. And not only when we faced people who hated us or uh, were up punching or down punching, it, it was... It was used as as a way for us to be able to survive our experiences. We have an, uh, they tried to kill us. We survived. Let's right. eat, right? Those nine words can describe every Jewish holiday, right? People tried to kill us, but we're still here. Now we can cry and cry about our miseries, or we can cry and laugh because it's better to at least laugh, lachabisel, at least to laugh a little right. bit instead of cry all the time. So we added the humor. And the other thing is, when something really good would happen, many Jewish people would whisper it because tfu tfu tfu, poo poo poo, however, <laughs> whatever type of Jew you are, like, don't don't say it too much. It would be, a yeah, Shande would be bad luck. But there is, a, there is a downside. Is it because that combination of that laughter at like not taking ourselves too seriously, which is always a good human thing in general. Mm. We don't want to be arrogant. And anyone who takes themselves too seriously, nobody wants to be around such a person. But 
not taking ourselves too seriously with that humor coupled with ignorance of 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 the preciousness of our value system the ignorance of our traditions and of our wisdom right. that we have that we brought to the world that makes for a, a very insecure kind of jew so that, how do we educate how do we reach out to more well, people i mean that's what i've dedicated my life to which is just to get in front of as many young less affiliated jewish men and women and say look at this stuff everybody's searching for some wisdom for happiness I have my book is right over there. I wrote a book called Beyond the Instant, 10 different lessons about from the Torah about happiness. Like people are not, unfortunately, have not been the Hebrew day school. I don't want to say Hebrew day school, the Hebrew school, like the after school Hebrew school, one or two days a week. You know, by, by and large, it was a failure at totally. inspiring a generation of Jews totally. that, we've, that we've got some profundity. We've got some actual wisdom here. And what happens when... What happens when those same Jews go out and get doctorates in physics, in 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 or law degrees and MBAs from from Ivy League universities? Judaism looks like a laughing stock. It looks like right. a joke. And then because all the they comedian. know is their Hebrew school. Yeah, yeah. It's and, and that's our. So I I so by the way, that's why I think it's like knowledge is key. Mm -hmm. And I think the ultimate, I think the ultimate um, response to anti-Semitism. And I think you've been saying this the whole time is really our own internal attitude towards our own Judaism. How proud are we, you know, of being Jewish? Uh, and I'm going to come back to that. I'm going to come back to that's actually my last question for you. What we can do about that? Um, something that baffles me because you mentioned this before that you've been at rallies, and I've seen signs at these rallies that say, you know, gays for Palestine, queers for Palestine, um, and I. I I can't believe these people aren't aware that what Hamas would do to someone for being gay or that if they themselves were walking to Gaza or certain Palestinian controlled areas of Yehuda Shomron with that sign, they might not make it out alive. Have you interacted with such individuals, you know, trying to conflate these issues? Um, and, and what do they say when you bring up what, you know, when you share your, your narrative? So I face a lot of false narratives uh, from within the LGBTQ community and within the LGBTQ movement about Israel. People who focus so much on civil rights and social justice for specific people, people who fight for tolerance. And one of the problems is the people who want and seek the most amount of tolerance end up becoming the most intolerant of anybody who is different than them. That is a problem. That is not being a true social justice warrior, this term, which is used for so many people. Anybody who tweets about stuff is a social justice warrior. And I say, well, what are you actually doing? And I will challenge them. And I will say, like, tell me, I'm so excited that you're a civil rights and social justice warrior. What are you doing? They'll say, oh, I tweet or I post about this or I show up at, at, uh, at rallies and marches. I said, great. How are you helping the marginalized people? They said, well, I tweet and I post and I walk and I march. I said, how are you helping those marginalized groups? And I will keep going back and forth. So, for example, with these uh, anti-Israel, anti-Semitic, anti-Jewish, LGBTQ, civil rights and social justice warriors who I encounter, uh, I say, I, I say all, I ask all those same questions and I'll say, what are you doing for LGBTQ Palestinians? And in one instance, uh, I, I was 
speaking. And during the, the Q&A, this woman stood up and she said, Yuval. And she said my name like that. And I was like, uh-oh. <laughs> the way she just said my name and was like mocking it, uh, right. I already knew you know, I was in for something. Yeah. Uh, and she said, I've always liked the work that you do. I've seen your work. I've seen your films. I've heard your voiceovers. I've seen your work within arts and how you speak about being an inclusion activist. And that is so great. And I said, thank you. And then she said, but I'm very disturbed by you as well. And I said, uh-oh. And she said, I'm not done. And I said, okay. Uh, and she said, you are, and, and this is a quote that now has been repeated about me. It's an accusation that is floating around about me. And it all started at this one event. And she said, you are obviously Zionist and openly Jewish. And I'm very disturbed by that. And I said, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I, I didn't. I, I, can you say that again? She said, you, you didn't. Oh, yeah. I said, I, I'm sorry. She said, you're interrupting me. I said, well, I didn't. I need you to repeat what you said. And she said, which part? I said, just the last part. She <laughs> said, you are obviously Zionist and openly Jewish. I said, can you Wait, what? Can you say that again? She said, are you? I said, just, I, I just need to hear it again. She said, what? The part that you're obviously Zionist and openly Jewish? I said, yep, that one. And now I'm officially interrupting you because you're saying it to me as if it's an accusation. I've heard openly gay. I've never heard somebody say to somebody openly Christian or openly American or openly Muslim or openly Palestinian or openly uh, German or openly whatever, uh, or openly a man or openly a woman. What, what is that? An obviously Zionist? Yeah, you know what? You're right. I am obviously Zionist and I am openly Jewish. But the fact that you're saying it as if it's an accusation and if it's and and you address it as something that disturbs you, I think that says a lot more about you than it does about me. So I assume that because you're at this event, you're a civil rights activist because just about everybody here focuses on civil rights. I would claim that you should not be a civil rights activist if you cannot include Jewish people within the wow. the, the, wow. the people who who need civil rights. And well, so I, I encounter I, these conversations. But I, I, I have a lot. to tell you something. I am so happy you asked her to repeat that phrase three mm -hmm. times because the best response is simply to get everyone else to hear that the word Zionism and openly Jewish she is using. Uh, a, a, a uh, what you called it, a social justice warrior is clearly telling the world that being a Zionist and being openly Jewish does not fall into a protected category anymore. Right. So right? we need that to describe and define who we are. What do we do? Yes, education. You spoke about education, and I, I would talk to you about that topic uh, for an entire podcast and for the rest mm -hmm. of our lives, how important it is for Jews to be educated, for Jews to be able to answer people the way I answered this specific woman and the way I answer queers for Palestine when they come for me and try to silence me and say that I have no right to be an LGBTQ activist because I'm Zionist and Jewish, right? I can answer them. I can lean into that challenge and into that accusation and have a conversation with them. Wow. Because I've read wow. books. I went to a Jewish day, uh, Jewish day school from kindergarten through 12th grade. I mm -hmm. continued studying Jewish history. Where'd you go? College, I'm curious. Where'd you uh, go? To the Charles E. Smith Jewish Day School in Washington, sure. D.C. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, in the D.C. area. Uh, and I, 
I continued to study and I continued to be involved and continued to be an activist and sit on the, the board of directors or advisory councils for now 42 different organizations. I'm entrenched in this and I can have the conversation. But you know what? Not every Jew needs to be a historian or a rabbi or know everything about Israeli history and the Knesset and, and Jewish history. But you need to be able to define yourself. If you can define yourself, you can define your community. And if you can define yourself and, you can, and your community, you can define anybody who directly or indirectly relates to or resonates with you and your community. And now that means you are an activist. You are an mm -hmm. advocate. You can advocate for yourself. If you can advocate for yourself, you can answer those questions. So if somebody says, oh, you're a Jew, what do you think about this with Israel and that with Israel and this with Israel? You need to be able to answer with a little bit of chutzpah and say, oh, you're American? How dare you have attacked the Capitol on January 6th? Why are you taking women's rights away to an abortion? How are you doing? And go through a whole list and practice the whataboutism that we are accused of and say, wait a second, if you're accusing me of these things, one, maybe you don't really know me. Two, are you accusing everybody like this or are you specifically targeting me because I'm Jewish? To be able to have those conversations and to be stronger, to be more educated. Our Jewish people are a strong, resilient, smart, forward-moving nation. It's who we are. It's how we were destined to be. It's what the Tanakh is about. It's what uh, the, 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 the Mishnah and the Talmud is about. It's what Pirkei Avot are about. It's what Zionism is about. It's what Israel is about. It's what democracy is about. It's what peoplehood is about. It's what being an indigenous people who've been kicked out and who've either by choice or not have spread around the world and we are still here. Embrace your Jewishness and embrace your Jewishness for what it is for you and for your community, and how can we be a, a whole people? And that's another problem that comes from within our Jewish people, is we're too divided right now. And when we are divided, we are weak, we are vulnerable. Our Jews need to unite. Well, I'm gonna come back to the unite in a minute. I have one last question before the unite question, and I really appreciate the passion and the love you have for your own Jewish identity and how you're communicating that um, to, to those that um, are either lacking that or um, don't think we deserve to have such pride in being Jewish. Um, how do we break out of these left-right paradigm that we're in and getting back to analyzing things from a more of a truth perspective? And I, I, I've been doing this as my third show on this on this third podcast um, on anti-Semitism from the left, and I, I got I don't know somewhat criticized on social media. Rabbi, why why aren't you calling it out on the right? Now I am calling it out on the right. I've been calling it out on the right the whole time because the right anti-Semitism from the white supremacists and all that it's very obvious, and it's been going on for a long time, and I'm I'm always there, but. So I'm thinking, like, what does this person un unaware that I like because I, I chose to do this little segment, three part segment on the anti-Semitism on the left? Like, does he really think? But I think what's happening is that we're so conditioned to view everything in partisan terms, mm -hmm. Democrat versus Republican, left versus right. So if I'm taking a, if I'm if I'm criticizing one segment, it must be because I'm on the other side, and therefore 
you know, that's not fair. How do we get out of this left, right, analyzing everything? You have to say it. I feel like I, every week, okay, so I have speaking engagements constantly. I write articles. I I have to uh, represent my identity regularly by people who call it out in a supportive way and people who call it out and attack me for my identity. And I have to use vernacular again and again and again to make sure that people know what my brand is. My brand. My brand is my identity. My brand is affected by who I am and what I do. I am Jewish. I am an Israeli-American or an American-Israeli. I am part of the LGBTQ community. I'm an Mm -hmm. artist. I'm an actor. I'm a director. I'm a filmmaker. I'm a son. I'm a husband. I'm a brother. I'm a great friend. I'm a doer. All of these things are part of my brand, and I define it. But I will say many, many times every week, I'm an inclusion activist who focuses on radical acceptance. So I use that language to make sure that they know who I am, that I say who I am, that they start to remember who I am when I need to respond to them. And that is something that's so important within the anti-Semitism on the left, because they're focusing on branding. They're focusing on identity politics. They're focusing on civil rights and social justice movements. So we need to use that language again and again and again and again and again and again to make sure that that becomes part of the their narrative about us. We cannot let if, someone else control and, and, our narrative. Right. And you think if more, let's say more Jewish leaders started using that kind of inclusive language like you're using and um, trying to expose, you know, uh, if somebody, you know, calls you openly, openly Jewish or Zionist and, you know, just have them repeated a few times, do you think that's going to make a shift or people yes. are just so entrenched in their ideology I've, that... No, I, I think it will make a shift. I, I, mm-hmm. You know it. That's what you're doing. You're openly who you are for every part of your identity. I mean, Rabbi, you're sharing it and you're exposing yourself in such a way that you're sharing why you are proud of who you are and what you do. We need more Jews to do the same thing, to be proud and to share. We, we need to have Jewish pride marches. We need to have Jewish pride celebrations. We need to have pop-up Jewish dance parties. We need to do this. One of the things that I've, one of my favorite days growing up was the Israeli Day Parade in New York Mm. City. Yeah, yeah. As a kid, I just, I don't know, it was so much fun. You got to see all your friends. There was concerts. We should march together this year. Well, I, I, we, MG has been watching every single year would be an honor. And I just, unfortunately, I've seen less and less. It's just getting more and more orthodox every year. Totally. And I'm happy more and more orthodox people are participating in it. It wasn't always the it wasn't always the situation. But um but you know, this will lead me to my last question for you, but which is you've and you've touched on this in almost everything you've said, and that is unity on the inside. How would you recommend we are such a small people, we are less than one fifth of one percent of the world's population. Yes, we've made a big splash on the world, thankfully. But with so many groups within our tiny Jewish community of secular versus religious and Orthodox reform, conservative, Ashkenazi, Sephardi, left, right, how do we? What's your recipe for greater achdus in and 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 unity in the community? For greater achdut, yeah, and forget uh, for... about and and you don't have to think about 
anyone outside of there. I'm saying just literally within, you grew up going to Jewish day school, you're very passionate about your Jewish identity. And what is it that you think would engender more love, respect, connectedness between different types of Jewish people? Because I don't Education, education, you said it before. How do we educate people? Sorry, I cut you off. Mm -hmm, You said mm -hmm, you don't believe. mm -hmm. It's- Thank you. I am so thankful that my parents made the decision to send me to a Jewish day school from kindergarten through 12th grade. Mm -hmm. It shaped so much of my Jewishness, and I encountered Jews who were different than me. We had Ethiopian Jews. We had Sephardi Jews. We had uh, Dota Mizrach. We had Ashkenazi Jews. We had first-generation Jews, fifth-generation Jews. It it was amazing. Old Jews, young Jews, (laughs) <laughs> non-Jews who were students there, half right. Jews, you know, right. quarter Jews, whatever it is. Um, and it really prepared me to be a Jew in the world because I had such a great Jewish education in my formative years. That is the answer. And I, our Hebrew schools are obviously failing. I have met so many American Jews who don't know any of the brachot who don't know anything past whatever they memorized for their their bnei mitzvot right. and, and don't remember right. anything else. And that is so sad. Yeah. Our Jewish history and our religion and our culture and our philosophy and our spirituality and our art is so beautiful and diverse. We need to be better educated about who we are and what our peoplehood is. Because you know what? No matter how religious somebody is, and I use the quotation marks because that's a word that I want to take back because religious shouldn't only mean from or orthodox or conservative or going to synagogue every day, but that's a, that's a different topic for a different podcast. <laughs> different conversation. We'll have different conversation. Time. It doesn't matter how religious you are. You are always Jewish. I've met Catholic people and Muslim people and Baha'i people and Buddhist people and Zoroastrian people who've said, yeah, like I was raised, you know, this faith, but I'm not that anymore. Right. A Jew can no longer say, oh, I was raised Jewish, but I'm not Jewish anymore, unless they like actively convert and take great steps to be completely different. Because being Jewish is not only a religion, it's a culture, it's an ethnicity, it's it's a nationality. We are in an indigenous people, an indigenous people who's been spread around the world, who genetic studies like 23andMe and Ancestry.com show that we have common genetics. We are a specific people from a specific part of the world. We have our culture. We have our art. We have ways that we speak. I mean, gosh, uh, I, I miss those older generations that used to be everywhere that would talk like this, that would have the intonations because it was how they, were, how they would Jackie. study. The Jackie Masons. The Jackie Masons. But, you know, and Jackie Mason was not a religious person, but he still had the way that he would talk. Or he wasn't as religious as, as, you know, maybe the... See, I'm still... I need to train myself how to use the word. Um, Now, maybe we'll hear Orthodox people using that because those are the intonations that have come from within our language, from within how to read read the Torah. We have tropes and we had these ways that we would speak and we would sing songs. I miss that. That was part of our peoplehood. So what's the answer? Education. Of course. Education, education, education. I've said, yeah, go ahead. Here's here's something else. We are, why have Jews uh, been self-deprecating? And why have so many American Jews drifted away from their Jewish identity? Because somehow being Jewish 
is not seen by the mainstream as cool or sexy. And that's a problem. We are listening to the critics, the people who are giving, putting criticism on Jews, you know, Jew him down, don't, don't Jew him, uh, or, or what Israelis are, or why are Jews this Zionist cabal and these narratives that people are saying. And, and we're listening too much to the critics, but it's not the critic who counts. It's not the person who, who points out that a person or a people are strong or not strong or saying that Jews are nebishy and, and ugly and weak and funny and to make jokes about or what, what the Jews who do things and they're criticizing the doer of the deeds and what they could or should do different. The credit really belongs on the people who are in the arena, who, who are embracing their Jewishness from a place of leadership, from a place of doing something, tikkun olam, repairing the world, tikkun ha-nefesh, repairing of the soul, tikkun ha-guf, repairing the body. The Jews whose faces are marred with the, 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 the blood, sweat, and tears, who, who valiantly pursue those challenges, who make mistakes, who come up short and do the same again and again and again, a resilient Jewish people who in the end, while they might have reached the triumph of high achievements as so many of our people have, also know that we have failed and we have lost and we have done so by daring greatly. Those are the things that we need to do. We need to be great, a great people and a, a, a great nation. And it takes us, it takes pride in who we are and however we are. And if more of us, if more Jews can do that, we will once again be the great nation who doesn't only need to be self-deprecating. And, and, and how would you inspire more young Jews to consider sending their kids to Jewish day schools or whatever it is? It's, it's not a mitzvah in Jewish okay. day school, although I think you and I probably should get uh, a commission from some of the day schools because we're promoting them big time here. We should. Um, but like, how would you, I mean, I know what I'm doing here at MGE to try to get more people to consider because it is, it's a lifestyle change. You send your kid to a day school, that might mean one or two less vacations during the year. It, there's an investment that's necessary. Cause it's expensive. It's expensive, but like anything else in life, if, if something is worth paying something for, there's no way around this. Like I, I, I have these conversations with so many people on this podcast and elsewhere, and everybody who I respect, <laughs> okay, and you are among them, Yuval, they all say the same thing. It's all about Jewish education. Now, I'm always looking for creative ideas as okay. to how to inspire someone who didn't have the day school education, who's not, who wasn't raised to spend $30,000 a year per child, and they move into a nice suburban community where the public school system is very nice. I'll just send them to to the Hebrew school in, you know, that belongs to the synagogue. Now, even though it failed them, they're going to do it again because right. it's not worth the 30, 60, $90,000 of pre-taxed money a year. Okay. So here's an answer. Uh, do you want your children to succeed? Do you want your children to be better off than you have been, than you were, and that than you will be? You need to invest in your children. And here's something to all of the Jewish philanthropists out there. Wait, before we go to Jewish philanthropists, better Please. off materially or spiritually or both? Yes, yes, and yes. Do you want your children to be smarter, more successful, achieve more, see more of the world, be safer, live a longer and healthier life? And what is healthy? 
healthy is not just physically healthy. Right. It's right. psychologically and spiritually healthy. Totally. Do and you those want are the them number, to have a and those community? Are the, and by the way, those are the number one issues because you could have the biggest Ivy League, you know, university degrees hanging on your wall and God forbid still go through terrible depression if you're just not a content, happy person. Right. Now, we have to demonstrate that sending your kids to day school is going to produce those types of things. But we know that they do because they give you community. Right. They give you wisdom of the Torah, even if it's as it's combined with secular wisdom. There's no question. I, I think the way you frame that is actually, you know, to get in front of enough of our Jewish brothers and sisters and to make a case that it's not just about day school, about putting yourself because, you know, if you're not involved Jewishly and you throw your kid in the day school, that's not going to that's probably not going to work either. You know, kids need to see their parents practicing what they preach. Yeah. Um, so so uh, it's very expensive. I mean, thirty thousand dollars a year per child per year is very expensive yeah. for for many people. So, so you got to make here, a case. You got to make so, a real case. Sure. We need these schools to be better funded. And we need more scholarships. And the Jewish philanthropists who are out there who are focusing on how we can better our people, yes, there are so many organizations that you can support. There's the End Jew Hatred Movement. There's uh, the Lawfare Project. There's Stand With Us. There's Jubilong. There's uh, A Wider Bridge. There's I Could Keep Going of Organization, yeah. Organization, Organization. Yes, those are important organizations to support. But how can we support the education that comes through those organizations or to the school to provide scholarships for people who need it? And not just the, the lower income people, but also the middle class people yeah. Who have to say, class, well, 100%. I mean, gosh, uh, thirty thousand is a lot. That's going to mean the vacations. That's yeah. going to mean the extracurriculars. That's going to mean the size but of the house. But, but 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 you realize what you just suggested is being done in other Western countries, with you know, in South Africa and Australia and England, where Jewish day school education is heavily subsidized. Mm -hmm. do, do you know? I used to. I, I started like a little Hebrew school here, and I had. Uh, a family, a Jewish family, who was sending their son to a Catholic school. And why? And it actually makes a lot of sense to send your Jewish child to a Catholic school because education is better. They're getting some spiritual guidance. And it's it's subsidized by the archdiocese. So it's not so expensive. Hmm. And when I gave now I, I said, and this is important for our listeners to know, 50% of all kids in Jewish day school are being subsidized. But who wants to ask for a handout? How many parents feel comfortable when they're doing okay to say, well, I really need a scholarship and then I have to turn in what I'm making every year, what vacations I go on to prove that I'm <clears throat> worthy of a, right. of a scholarship. I, I, we need better leadership because the leadership, unfortunately, is not allocating sufficient funding to these day schools to make them more affordable, um, as is happening in other countries. Um, uh, you know, So I'm a huge advocate of that. I don't know if that's going to change unless we get some we get some different types of Jewish leaders to That's head right. up our federations. I, I, and I'm very much in agreement. So education is the answer uh, for people to explore their Jewish identity is the answer because the anti-Semitism on the left, as you're talking about, it's the vast majority of the anti-Semitism that I encounter. Yes, every day when I open up my phone and my social media messages, I get messages from, uh, or from the the, the right-wing conservative religious anti-Semites, which is a lot of what we see on yeah. the right or from conservative communities, whether they uh, are 
Christian anti-Semites or Muslim anti-Semites, those are the enemies that we have known for <laughs> thousands of years. But when it's the anti-Semites who are exploring it from a, a – a, uh, are trying to rationalize it from a political, from a democratic perspective, that's when it's most dangerous. And if we aren't educated and informed as a people – those narratives are going to win in these er in this era of civil rights and social justice movements. Yeah. Yeah. That's the that's the anti-Semitism, and I'm bringing it back to this topic because that's why you brought me on this show today. Yeah. Is that is the problem with anti-Semitism on the left? We need to be included, and we must be at those tables because you know what? If you don't have a seat at the table, you're on the menu. And when we are not included at the table, line. we need yeah. to take our seat there because they are chewing us up and spitting us out. And we cannot let that happen. So education is huge. And that's also for adults. Go on a trip to Israel. Do, do a spiritual uh, retreat uh, at or with a synagogue. Uh, MJE ski books. retreat is the first weekend in February. Sorry, shameless where, plug. Where are you skiing? We go skier. to Vermont every year. We go to uh, Mount Snow. Oh, Welcome to it, come. I would love join. to. All it's right, awesome. I'll, We're bringing 50 people. We're already half filled. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll have to talk to you about it. I'm, <laughs> I'm a huge skier. And you know no, what? But I, 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 I appreciate that you are making a commercial for not just the kids, because it's got to be young adults, mm -hmm. because that's going to also determine the way we develop ourselves spiritually and the way we develop ourselves spiritually is going to affect the next generation, 100%. Well, Yuval, I hope you, Hashem should bless you to continue the amazing work that you are doing because you are a voice in the left that is sane, in my opinion, <laughs> and, is, um, and is also um, has credibility. Um, and and is exposing a kind of um, more of a subtle anti-Semitism that gets a pass because it's anti-Israel, and there you know and therefore it gets cloaked in you know everything we've been speaking about. So, vote to you. I I wish you just only mazel and bracha in your continued no. work on behalf of the Jewish community. Of course, your work professionally as an actor and all the work you're doing. I'm looking at all the trophies behind you. It's impressive. You should be blessed in that way too. But I'm a little more concerned about the other stuff, to be honest, which is why I brought you on here. And uh, the more that you can in help inspire more Jews to become more Jewishly proud through Jewish education, the more you will be changing us from within and ultimately, I think, really changing um, the way we respond to anti-Semitism wherever, wherever it, you know, it comes from. Um, I, so I, I'm... <laughs> humbled and i don't know if you can see i'm blushing from your words i i appreciate it especially coming from somebody like you who is in the arena you know you're you're making bold and brave choices to do what you do and to lead the way you lead and so i i'm not normally good with compliments and and, and I but i'm taking that. that from you i appreciate um, that and 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 listen you you the the answers you gave me to a lot of the questions are just keep speaking the truth Mm -hmm. And uh, as much as we become cynical that people are in their little echo chambers, the left is not going to change and the right's not going to change. Uh, you know, my experience dealing with a lot of young people, maybe because they're younger, MG focuses on 20s and 30s. I find people are largely open minded. We have certain biases that we have to sort of contend with. 
but I love your message of inclusion and, and making sure that Israel is included in those conversations at the table so we don't end up on the menu. That's a great line. <laughs> um, but but that we um, that we make the case because there are people still with an open enough enough an open enough mind that will consider an alternative. So yeah, I, and um, it's uh, it uh, because I, I'm very active on social media. Something that I see is so many people are are quick to write negative things. I mean. Goddess knows I have so many negative comments on, on my YouTube videos and my Instagram and Facebook and Twitter uh, that don't even pertain to what I posted about. It pertains to my identity uh, primarily as a Jewish person. Um, so my challenge for people out there who are on social media finds the people who are brave and bold enough to share their identities as part of their brand presentation or self-presentation and write positive comments, uh, follow them, like them, share those videos and those posts with other people, share those articles. If, if you read Rabbi Mark's book and you thought it was great, send a copy to somebody, share the, the knowledge and the work and the efforts of people who are exerting themselves to put themselves out there with bravery and with vulnerability. And share the positivity because there's way too much negativity out there. It's the same response to hate speech. Hate speech is protected here in America and in Israel and in other democracies. Hate speech is protected. You're allowed to practice hate speech. What is my response to hate speech? It's more speech. We need to share the more speech that we want and that we need. So if you feel oppressed or victimized or othered or insulted, don't be quiet. Don't stand down. Don't stand back. Get up there. Get out there as you are who you are and represent yourself. And if you see people who inspire you, applaud them. Join them. I'm not an activist and share. only to like, have a spotlight. And, and share. You know, yeah. the, the, all of these social platforms allow us to share, which is something which is new. You so know? so f follow us on social media. I mean, <laughs> honestly, every follower, every like, every comment is is yeah, important helpful, because 100%. it'll also hopefully inspire you to do the same thing. Amen. So, amen, 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 Yuval, amen. Thank you so much. And um, I look forward to continuing the conversation. And uh, thank you for weighing in and uh, sharing your wisdom on this. It really, I, I, I very much appreciate it. Well, Rabbi Mark, I, I appreciate you and... All of the, the nice things you shared about me, I, I equally share about you. I'm inspired and motivated by people who do something, who take action. That is the only way we can better ourselves and better our people. And you very much are an impressive leader. And other than all those compliments, I also hope to see you on the slopes <laughs> in Vermont. Well, you're welcome to come. It's, uh, we go up Thursday night. We stay through Sunday night. We ski Friday and Sunday and uh, snow tube Saturday night and have a beautiful Shabbat in the middle. Oh my gosh. It's, it's yeah, it's a very, it's, we do it every year. We've been going to the same lodge. We got it, we got it down to a science. It's well, I, I, I do have my icon and my Epic pass, which allow me to ski. And oh, all kinds oh of you're resorts. a serious skier. I'm a, I'm a serious skier. I'm, uh, a I'm like I'm double a... black diamond, black oh, diamond. Oh, okay. Then you'll have like... to ski with my son because uh, I'll be on the green and maybe blue. Oh, it's you got to move on from the green. I've tried. All right. I'm a failed rabbinic skier. That's all I can tell all you, right. but I as, keep trying. 
So here's one of the things that I say to everybody, because while I sometimes will challenge people to do a challenging slope, uh, I am often referred to as a ballroom dancer on the slopes. I focus wow. on my form. And if my form, if I ever question my form, I will stop. I will refocus and I will lean back in. And the same notes that are given to beginning skiers are the same notes and corrections that are given to advanced skiers. Skiing is a forward moving sport. You need to lean into the challenges. It's just like being a Jew. It's just like being an activist. Lean into the challenges, no matter what the terrain is ahead. Oh, we got to use that it's for a the forward next flyer. Sport. I love it. Lean into your Judaism. Lean into it. MGE ski retreat. Love, love it, it please. All right. <laughs> Look, obviously we can talk forever. Um, I, I'm so thankful to be on your show. I, I, I'd be glad to be on again and again and anything I can do to help you and support yeah. you because voices like yours are needed and I hope they inspire other people to use their voices the same way. I mean, I mean, thank you, Yuval. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. You know, I didn't think the last 15, 20 minutes of our conversation, which really focused um, on Jewish education and Jewish pride, it wasn't necessarily why I invited Yuval uh, to come and speak. I wanted to get the perspective of someone who's a little more in the left, liberal, progressive community and see how he is viewing the anti-Semitism coming from that world and how he responds to it. And I think, you know, he's got a lot of credibility in that community. And uh, I was really happy to hear how he thinks we should respond um, and, and using the same kind of language and narratives that are being used against Israel to really defend Israel and just being a proud Zionist and a proud Jew in modernity. But what, what emerged from our conversation was something else, which is, and, and I realized like uh, just thinking about this afterwards, in a sense, this is even more important than being so focused on what other people think about us. What do we think about us? <laughs> what do we think about Judaism and our Jewish traditions and being part of the Jewish community? Because if we're not terribly proud, which I think is based on our education, it's very hard to be proud of something you don't know much about. And one of the reasons that there isn't a lot of Jewish pride amongst American Jews and a lot of Western Jews is because we're not terribly well-educated. We're very well-educated educated in the secular realm. But, but you ask a rudimentary elementary question to a typical young Jewish professional living in Manhattan about Judaism, ABCs, about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah, about any of our observances and traditions is a big question mark. And it's not anyone's fault. Most of us did not have a Jewish day school education. That's maybe 10, 15% of the American Jew Jewish population. How are we supposed to defend ourselves against attacks from without when we are so <sighs> divided and not just divided, apathetic and indifferent about our Judaism from within. And this is something I'm taking away from my conversation with Yuval is what we need to do, I think spend more money, time and energy on is not deflecting attacks from without, but building ourselves up from within. And the only way to do that, my friends, is by studying and learning and arming ourselves with Jewish knowledge and wisdom, which is why the next couple of uh, podcasts I'm going to be doing are we're going to be evaluating and analyzing the authenticity and the truthfulness of Judaism. 
I really think a lot of people look at Judaism and don't take it too seriously because it sounds mythical to them. It sounds like it's sweet. And if you're kind of a nostalgic person, you'll take your Judaism seriously. But if you're a thinking rational being, you know, it's not really something worthwhile investing in because is it really true? Is it really not? Is there a God? Did that God give us the Torah? Was it just written by a bunch of people to keep us, you know, nostalgic about our Judaism? So I'm going to be interviewing a couple of, and I've already done some of those interviews, so I can tell you they're really good, academics and mystics, people that are more rationally oriented, people a little more esoteric and spiritual slash mystical in their orientation about the authenticity and truthfulness of Torah and Judaism. Because at the end of the day, the better we are educated, the more we are educated, the more knowledgeable, learned we are, the more proud we're going to be, and the more we're going to not allow our enemies out there, or maybe not our enemies, but people that are just saying ridiculous things. You could tell when someone is saying something ridiculous about the Jewish community, if you're knowledgeable about the Jewish community and about Judaism itself, and we're just not knowledgeable enough, we're not learned enough, and, and we're a very smart, educated, we are the people of the book. So let's get into the book a little more. And that's what we're going to do in the next couple of, of, of podcasts of the Wildcast, our MGE podcast. I thank you guys for listening. I ask you to subscribe so you can get notifications of the next uh, episodes and uh, stay with us. Keep learning. Let's keep growing together.